Good morning. My name is Tony Fontanini. My wife and I lead a rooted group here at eFree, and we also help with the welcome team. This morning I'll be reading from Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. In his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I'm a virgin? The angels answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is God's word. Thanks, Tony. It's good to see all of you here today. Before we turn to the word, I'd like to pray for us. You'd please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together, this time to slow down, to think, to feel, to express our love for you. We pray for ourselves this week as we approach this day that we call Christmas. We submit to you all of our expectations. We submit to you all of our relationships. We submit to you all of our anxieties. And we invite you during this week, during this season, to speak to us through your word, through your people, through circumstances, through whatever other ways that you choose. We pray, God, that in the midst of our daily lives, that above all, we would not miss you. God, give us the, the desire and give us the opportunity to quiet our souls day by day and experience you in deep and refreshing ways. We pray for those in our midst who experience sadness at Christmas due to losses that they've experienced this year, accumulated disappointments in families, in the workplace, in this world, and in the church. We pray, God, for the, those that are experiencing loneliness over relationships that are lacking or lost. We pray, God, that you would give each one a joy and a satisfaction in Jesus this, this Christmas. We pray for ourselves that we would notice the people around us, people in our families, our neighborhoods, people in our community. We pray, God, that you would give us words of encouragement and words of hope. We pray that we might come alongside people with compassion and care. And we pray, God, that our homes would be places of peace and rest and places of hospitality where we would receive people just as Jesus would. 
And God, we pray for ourselves during the rest of our time here this morning. We pray that you would speak to us through your word. We pray that we might have ears to hear. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, anybody who has children, especially grown children, would tell you that you will experience great joy and you will experience great sorrow in your parenting. I could tell you uh, experiences that Brenda and I have had in our parenting, experiences that brought us just incredible, full to overflowing joy. I told you about one of those three weeks ago today, the the marriage of our son. We just delight in what God did in bringing those two together. We could also tell you experiences of great sorrow in our parenting, uh, things that our children have done, things that have been done to our children. Great sorrow. And the two go together. If you're a parent, you just accept that that's the case. That, that is the nature. It comes with the territory. Today we're going to consider somebody who experienced greater joy and greater sorrow than probably anybody ever has. We're going to consider the experience of Mary, the mother of Jesus. And her experience is not primarily a case study in parenting. Her experience is a case study in discipleship. And so her main responsibility wasn't merely raising a little baby to adulthood although she did that. Her main uh, responsibility was to learn how to follow Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. And as we'll see, there was great birth, there was great joy at the birth of Jesus, there was great sorrow as time went by. But that doesn't mean that there wasn't joy all the way along. There was, but there was also sorrow. And so her experience illustrates that true disciples experience great joy and great sorrow. This is not the rare exception. This is the norm. If you are a disciple of Jesus, if you follow the man who is called a man of sorrows, if you follow him in your life, you will not only experience great joy, you will experience great sorrow. And that's important to know because we need to be prepared to follow Christ for a lifetime. It's very common for people to start out with great joy, but when the sorrow comes, they will fall away. Several weeks ago, we looked in in Luke chapter 8. Jesus told the parable of the soils. Now, one of the soils was the rocky soil. And in the rocky soil, the plant sprang up, the seed went down, the plant sprang up quickly, but it withered just as quickly when the sun came because it did not have deep roots. And Jesus said, that's what many people are like. They initially receive the gospel, the good news, with joy, and they love it. But then comes the time of testing. Then comes hardship and trial. Many times rejection because of Jesus Christ, and they fall away. They wanted the joy, but not the sorrow. Today's passage will help prepare us. It will show us that joy and sorrow are the norm in following Jesus. And so we'll look some detail in the passage that Tony read earlier in Luke chapter 1, and then we'll look briefly at three other passages that show how Mary, in addition to the great joy she experienced, she also would experience sorrow in her discipleship. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to Luke 1. We'll begin in verse 26. 
you were with us last week, we talked about Elizabeth and Zachariah's experience. Uh, They were miraculously able to have a child in their old age, something they were not able to do throughout the the rest of their marriage. And uh, when Elizabeth was six months pregnant, God sent Gabriel, the same angel he had sent to to, uh, Zechariah, he sent that same angel with a message to a young woman named Mary. We read this. In the sixth month, that was the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth. And then we learn three things, that she was sent to a virgin, and so she was a virgin. She was betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, and he was of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And so being betrothed in that day was very different from being engaged in our day. If you were betrothed, you were, you were in a legally binding relationship that could only be broken by death or divorce. And so for a young Jewish woman to be found with child while she was betrothed was a big deal. The law said you could be stoned for, for having relations outside of marriage. It didn't take place in that day, but that's what the law had said. And so uh, we find that Mary was a virgin. She was betrothed to a man named, Je- Dave, uh, named Joseph, who was a descendant of David. So he came from a kingly line. That'll be important later on. Verse 28, and Gabriel came, and said, came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Last week we saw that Zechariah was frightened at the angel's appearance. Here we're going to find out that Mary was troubled at the angel's greeting, what she said, verse 29. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, what angels always say, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. So she wasn't in in trouble. She actually was very pleasing to God. That's why he had come. And uh, Gabriel tells her that she would have a miraculous pregnancy, just like her relative Elizabeth uh, had had, and that the name of the child had already been decided. Verse 31, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And the verbiage in this verse is almost identical to what we find in Isaiah seven fourteen. There we read that, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Here the virgin Mary would conceive and bear a son and would call his name Jesus, which means Yahweh or Jehovah saves, because this child would save his people from their sins. Verse 32, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. So there's a lot there. That was a staggering thing to say. And so the angel said, Mary, this baby that you will miraculously conceive, she will be both the son of God and the descendant of David who was promised that would reign on his throne. Verse 33, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. And so this is the staggering promise after 400 years of silence, God is going to act decisively 
introduced the Messiah in, into the world who would live a sinless life, die for the sins of the people, establish the kingdom of God. He said, Mary, it's going to happen through you. And in verse 34, we see that Mary, like Zechariah, had one simple question for the angel. And it's, there's a contrast here, because last week we saw that uh, Zechariah's question exposed his unbelief, but here we're going to see that Mary's question exposes her faith. Verse 34, and Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? You see what she's assuming? She's assuming that she's going to have this child, not after she gets married to Joseph, after their husband and wife. She says, how can this be since I am a virgin? She's assuming that this is the angel is talking about now, before I have relations with a man. That's what the, the expression means. And so here's Gabriel's response. And this probably leaves us with more questions than answers, okay? But this is the response. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. It's the same word, come upon you, that was used in Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses everywhere. And then he says, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. It's the same verb that was used, the Mount of Transfiguration, when the cloud overshadowed Jesus, Peter, James, and John. Therefore, because of the Holy Spirit... And because of the power of the Most High, we've got two members of the Trinity there. Therefore, the child to be born to you will be called Holy, the Son of God. And so long story short, because of this, this, this power of God, Father, the Holy Spirit, the child born within Mary would be the Son of God. He would be holy. He would be holy other than any who has ever lived. And in verse 36, Gabriel informs Mary about Elizabeth's miraculous pregnancy. She didn't know about this. Again, this was not modern times. You wouldn't just learn about it. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. And so that knowledge, if you keep reading, will prompt Mary to go south and visit Elizabeth. Note the angel adds, for nothing will be impossible with God. And so these two miraculous pregnancies are going to prove that God can do anything. And if you keep reading in Luke and then Acts, which is uh, the the follow-through of Luke's writing, you'll see that God did things that nobody thought possible. He raised Jesus Christ bodily from the dead. He turned the original disciples from these fearful, uh, somewhat timid followers to these bold, courageous disciples of Jesus. Through these these men and women, they turn the world upside down. And so anything is possible in light of these two miraculous pregnancies. Notice Mary's simple, faith-filled response in verse 38. And I'm going to tell you this. It occurred to me as I was studying this week, aside from Jesus himself, I think I am more impressed with Mary than anybody else in the entire Bible. This is what Mary said. She was a teenager. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. 
So for starters, here she is a teenager. We think she's 14 to 16 years old. She was crystal clear about her relationship with God. She said, I am a servant of the Lord. She was, she was very clear. God is the Lord. I submit to him and the implication, therefore, he is free to give me any assignment he wants, including the one that just rocked my world, changed my life forever. I don't know about you. Some of you are teenagers. When I was a teenager, I did not think this way, okay? I still don't think this way sometimes. Mary did. She said, I am a servant of the Lord. And then she gave this unqualified yes to Gabriel's word from God. Let it be done to me according to your word. She couldn't possibly understand what it would cost her to be the mother of the Son of God most high. But she gave this unqualified yes. She let God lead. And this is the response of a disciple. Mary believed the gospel. She believed the word the angel had spoken and she submitted to it. Now, since we live after the death and resurrection of Jesus, we understand the content of the gospel uh, more clearly, more, uh, more detail than she did. Uh, but we understand that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, he was raised from the dead, and now he is enthroned at the right hand of God. We, believe, we understand that all who believe in him have salvation eternally when we believe in him. And so when you believe the gospel like that, implicitly, you are saying, God, since Jesus died for me, I will live for him, whatever the cost. And so we're giving this unqualified yes to God when we believe the gospel, just like Mary did. Again, she's the paradigm. Her experience is a paradigm of discipleship for all of us. And so listen, with that foundation, let's look briefly at three other passages to see how Mary's experience is this case study in how true disciples experience great joy and great sorrow. On Christmas Eve, we're going to look at a fourth passage, namely Jesus, 12 years old, in the temple. Mary would again learn something yet new there. But we begin in uh, the, the first passage I want us to look at is Luke 1, 39 through, 40, through 56, in this passage, Mary went with haste. People hurry a lot in the Gospels when they find this, this news. She went with haste, and she went and visited her relative, Elizabeth. And uh, she found out she was indeed pregnant. And beginning in verse 41, Luke 1, 41, we read this. So she enters the house, and when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby, that's John the Baptist within her, leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And for this is before Mary even told her she was pregnant. And so the Holy Spirit had revealed this to her. Verse 43, And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord, she understood the baby she was carrying was her Lord, that the mother of my Lord should come to me. For behold, she told her what, what had happened. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. 
And so here she just has this incredible infusion of joy. Elizabeth's joy, this announcement, the joy of the baby. So that, that was a power-packed pregnancy there. John the Baptist was filled with the Spirit. <laughs> Mary was filled with the Spirit. And so, uh, uh, I mean, uh, Elizabeth. And so Mary learns of this great joy at her pregnancy, the Son of God. And she pronounces a blessing on Mary. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And so Mary was blessed because she believed the message that Gabriel had brought. And in the following verses, you can read Mary's song. It's known as the Magnificat. It's this, this, this powerful uh, expression of joy. She rejoices. She, ex- re- she expresses intense joy because God is going to fulfill his promise made to Abraham and the promises made, promises made by the prophets. The second passage is in Luke 2, verses 8 through 20. This is after uh, the, the Christ child has been born to uh, Mary in Bethlehem. And outside of Bethlehem, shepherds were keeping watch over their flocks by night. We sang about it earlier, but we read this beginning in verse 9. And again, we're going to see more joy here. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, right? And he said, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy. And so it was a gospel. I'm bringing you the gospel, and this gospel is full of joy. It's great joy that will be not just for the Jewish people, but for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And so this gospel and this joy were centered on the fact that a Savior, someone who would save them from their sins, was born that day in the city of David. In addition, there appeared a multitude of angels. They were praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The shepherds heard this. They quickly went to Bethlehem. They found Mary and Joseph and the baby, and they told them everything that they had seen and heard. And here's the response. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And so Mary was one of these people who thought deeply. I mean, she, she pondered things. And here we see that she thought deeply and, and long about what the, the shepherds had told her, that the angels had told them. And surely this contemplation deepened her faith and prepared her for the future. And the same thing is true for us, and I would encourage you uh, this week to ponder the things that we're talking about. Ponder this promise of joy through Jesus. Ponder this, this uh, what we're going to look at next, that there's not only joy, but there's also great sorrow associated with following Christ. The third passage is in Luke 2, verses 22 through 38. And this passage introduces Mary's sorrow. Uh, Luke describes how Mary and Joseph took Jesus to the temple. Jesus would have been 40 days old. Uh, It was was a a tradition that was sparked by the the Passover. They would present their firstborn child to the Lord. And this, it it commemorated the the, uh, deliverance that they had in Egypt. 
after they were in, in slavery. And we went to the temple and a man named Simeon came and he's described as a devout and righteous man and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. In other words, he was waiting for the day when God would show up and finally console or comfort Israel because all her sins have been paid for, double for her sins. And now she was finally going to experience some relief. And after praising God for letting him see this one who would bring salvation to both Jews and Gentiles, he said this to Mary, verse 34, Luke 2, 34. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And so Mary, your son is going to be a fork in the road for everyone who meets him. When people, when people uh, come, to, come to, to, to experience Jesus, they will either believe him and rise or they will reject him and they will fall. He said that many people will oppose your son. And so you've got great joy now, but you need to know that many will oppose your son. People didn't want a suffering Messiah. They wanted a conquering warrior who would deliver them from Rome. And then in verse 35, Simeon says this, And Mary, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. So here she is, the baby's 40 40 days old, and God wants her to know that one day she would experience something analogous. It was a sword, a military sword, that would be thrust through her soul. It would be that, uh, that much anguish. And again, Mary, I think it's God's grace. She had n- no idea what this would mean. She had no idea what it would cost her, but she had given this unconditional yes. And so God is preparing her emotionally, uh, spiritually, uh, um, mentally for a great sorrow. And no doubt that she also pondered Simeon's words in her heart. And we're going to see on Christmas Eve that there was a degree of sorrow when Jesus was 12, and he made clear to her that he had another parent, another father to whom he was more loyal than her. But the sword would pierce her soul the most deeply, 33 years later, when she stood and they watched the Roman soldiers carry out the will of the people. They laid down a cross and they nailed her son to the cross and then they lifted him up and with a thud, he fell down into the hole. The cross fell down into the hole and then she stood back and she watched him, his life, uh, watch his life uh, fade away from his body. He asphyxiated basically. And so she would have felt anguish of soul for at least a couple of reasons. Number one, she was a mom. She saw her son suffer a horrible, humiliating, brutal death. And number two, she was watching her savior die for the sins of humanity. It was her sins that put him there. And so perhaps at the cross, the words of Simeon came flooding back into Mary's mind. A sword will pierce your own soul. 
And surely she had to doubt herself all along the way. But here was confirmation. Okay, this was Ptolemy. This is the sword. And so just as there was great joy at the birth of Jesus, there was great anguish at his death. And of course, that's not the end of the story, right? Three days later, there's the joy of the resurrection. He's alive. He's risen from the dead. He's risen bodily from the dead. And so Mary's experience was unique, but her experience as a disciple was the norm. True disciples always experience great joy and great sorrow. And we have to understand that if we want to walk with Christ for a lifetime. If you're here today and you've never trusted in Christ, if you're considering who Jesus is, you actually need to know this. Jesus encouraged people to count the cost. There's no bait and switch here. Jesus doesn't promise you uh, 100% joy in this life. And then when it doesn't turn out that way, he says, well, actually, I'll give you the grace. No, he told people up front, you need to count the cost. If anyone wants to come after me, you need to deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. And so people need to know, if you, if you come to me, you will experience unbridled joy because your sins are forgiven. You're free. You're fully and finally yourself. You've been mired down. You've been burdened down by sin and guilt and shame. Come to me. You will have joy. But in this life, you will also have sorrow. You will have trouble because you're following the man of sorrows, one who is acquainted with grief. And so there's a unique type of joy and a unique type of sorrow for disciples of Jesus. Everybody experiences pleasures and hardships, but true disciples experience distinct types of joy and distinct types of sorrows. They're associated with our relationship with Jesus. And I thought about this and I, I realized I, I have no idea the joys and the sorrows that you will experience, but I pondered mine quite a bit. So I just want to share with you some of the joys and some of the sorrows that I have experienced as a follower of Christ. And some of them are intensified because I'm a pastor, but they're the same for all of us, okay? Joys. My own salvation, first and foremost. <laughs> I can never get over that Jesus Christ died for me. He wanted me. He died for my sins. Joy. I experience joy in worship. One of the privileges I have is that I get to come here every week and worship three times. And many times, like this morning earlier, the songs that we sing, they allow me to express from the heart things that I would never think to express. And this joy that's lied dormant, I express it to God and I realize I, I have more than I could ever, ever fathom. Joy, I have joy at seeing people come to Christ and we do our baptisms and we show the testimonies and we, we, the stories of people that are, have come to Christ. Like The Bible isn't just a history book. It tells us what happened. It tells us what happens. God is still at work in this world. Joy, some of my greatest joy involves seeing you, seeing you walk in truth, seeing you walk in truth in your families, in your neighborhoods, in your workplace, in the hardships that you face, in the midst of all the suffering that you face. John said, I have no greater joy than this than to see my spiritual children walking in truth. 
It's a great joy of mine. Sorrows, my greatest sorrows. Number one, my own sin. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I get this in my inbox. I get this, my utmost, my utmost for his highest. It's a devotional. Shows up every morning. And um, a few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, uh, Oswald Chambers wrote that conviction of sin is best summed up in these words. My sins, my sins, my Savior. How, how sad on thee they fall. My past sins, my present sins, my future sins. Breaks my heart that my sins have to fall on my Savior. But it's a sorrow that, that melts my heart. It's not a sorrow unto death. It's a sorrow that brings me to repentance. It's a sorrow that makes me want to walk with God. It's a sorrow that brings healing. Another sorrow, uh, family and friends who want nothing to do with Christ or family and friends that used to walk with Christ, no longer walk with Christ. I think John would say just as his greatest joy was to see his children walking in truth, his greatest sorrow would be to see his children no longer walking in truth. If you care about the eternal destiny of other people, you will experience sorrow. If you bear other people's burdens, you will experience sorrow. And as I look around this room, I know that many of you, like me, bear other people's burdens, and it will bring you sorrow. It absolutely will. You want to protect yourself? Never speak the name of Jesus. Uh, don't care about other people. Don't bear other people's burdens. But if you enter into people's lives and you care about their eternal destiny, you will experience sorrow. You will have joys. You will have sorrows. Is it worth it? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'll, I'll just leave you with this. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. The author wrote, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, he was going for the joy, the maximum amount of joy after the resurrection, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. In this life, there is both joy and sorrow. In the next, it is pure, unbridled, undiluted joy. It's worth it to follow him in this life. Heavenly Father, we pray that we would be true disciples, that we would not that we would pursue your joy, that we would experience as much of it as we possibly can. We pray, God, that we would not be fearful of sorrow, fearful of suffering. We pray, God, that we would follow our Savior fearlessly in the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.